Seven Deaths, Chapter 1, Apprenticeship, by Unwritten Curse. Narrated by Maddie Malfoy for HP Fanfic Talk. This is rated M for Mature, with advisories for sexual content and violence. 3rd April, 2092. Susan witnessed her first gleaning on a sunny Thursday afternoon. She'd never seen someone die before. To be fair, neither had most of the population. In the age of immortality, when technological and scientific advancements could cure any ailment, could even reverse death itself, only those randomly selected for the sake of population control ever permanently died. And the death toll was minuscule compared to the mortal age. As such, only the Scythes, those who were trained and granted authority by law to kill, truly understood what it meant to die, even more so than the people they gleaned, who were alive one moment and gone the next. Dying had become easier and faster than falling asleep, and so the gleaned had no time to contemplate their undoing. Only the Scythes regularly contemplated the great unknown. But as Mr. Teague's body slid comfortably to the pavement, not that Mr. Teague noticed, as he was dead, Susan felt, for perhaps the first time in her 17 years on Earth, a flickering of urgency. There was a less than 3% chance that she would die in the next millennium. She was young, and she skidded under the radar, an average student with average grades in an average town in Mid-America. Each day all but mirrored the last. A constant revolving door of family meals, school, and work. Very little could disrupt the doldrum of every day, as the thunder had governed with precision according to its programming. Very few managed to break the law these days, and no one really needed to. Immortality had done wonders to stave off human nature's impetus for causing trouble. Back in the mortal age, the average human had only 80-odd years to accomplish their dreams, and the constant threat of the end hanging over their mortal heads. But Susan, she hadn't even dreamed up a dream yet. She had plenty of, what, time? It was impossible to conceptualize, and therefore impossible to waste. But perhaps that's what Mr. Cheek had thought, too, before he saw Junior Scythe Faraday slinking towards him on an otherwise normal Thursday afternoon full of stoic pride. And the weight of it all, of watching the vibrancy rush from the man's eyes, of Scythe Faraday catching his dead weight and lowering his body respectfully to the ground, of realizing that language to describe this feeling left in the wake of death didn't exist anymore, made tears spring to Susan's eyes. She tried to wipe them away with the sleeve of her jacket, unnoticed, but Scythe Faraday shot her a furtive glance and nodded once to acknowledge her reaction. She looked away, blinking twice, and he was gone, presumably to alert the family of the gleaned. Susan walked home with a sudden and overwhelming desire to live. 8th April, 2092. You, what? Susan felt her heart begin to decelerate as the truth burrowed under her skin and spread out in tiny shockwaves. Scythe Faraday wasn't here to glean her. He had come to invite her on as an apprentice. The truth wasn't much better than the alternative, but it did make the air feel a little less like water, though she was still drowning in it. She felt the warmth of her nanites flooding her veins as they worked to rebalance her brain chemistry and ease her discomfort. To Scythe Faraday's credit, his expression showed not a hint of judgment. He gave her space to consider his invitation and accepted her reaction, all shades of it, in stride. Thankfully, her parents weren't home from work yet. Scythe Faraday must have known that and chosen to drop him when he would be least conspicuous. At least, that was her assumption based on circulating gossip. Supposedly, he wasn't the type to make a scene by barging in during a family meal. She imagined her mother would have fainted on the spot. Why me? she asked finally, looking up from her seated position at the kitchen table. Scythe Faraday stood several feet from her, hands clasped, the edge of his mouth twitching almost imperceptibly. Before he could respond, she added, I mean, what makes you think I want to kill for a living? Glean, he corrected calmly. What's the difference? Taking a life is taking a... There is a world of difference, Scythe Faraday interrupted, and you know it. I... I saw your tears at Mr. Teague's gleaning, he said, his tone softening. Most people are just relieved it's not them being gleaned. It's not often that I see, especially out of strangers. He let the sentence trail off. 
Susan waited for his resolution, but Scythe Faraday was clearly done. He was waiting, now, for her answer. I didn't know you could have an apprentice as a junior Scythe, Susan wondered aloud. Aren't you a bit inexperienced? Scythe Faraday's stoicism crumbled, and he let a hearty laugh. In that moment, Susan considered that the Honorable Scythe may not be quite as cold as she had imagined, that perhaps his stiff posture was all a fake She found herself smiling at the thought. Susan looked up, catching Scythe Faraday's eyes, and felt her cheeks flush. I went through all the same training as any other Scythe, he responded. You might say that my ideas are as fresh as my Scythe's robes, while others are becoming jaded with age. I didn't mean. Scythe Faraday stepped forward and claimed the seat next to Susan. Your boldness in the company of a Scythe is refreshing, he admitted. I'm used to people running and hiding when I enter a room. It's a lonely life, though it has its rewards. Susan exhaled slowly, nodding. She hadn't yet decided on a career path, though she was set to graduate in June, but joining the Scythe Dub? It had never crossed her mind. Only a small fraction of the population, way less than 1%, was ever offered an apprenticeship, and even fewer were robed as Scythe. Her being gleaned was more likely than her becoming a Scythe. Scythe Faraday's offer was meant to be an honor, but Susan could feel herself preparing to reject it, to turn down the promise of immunity, of knowing that she and her family would never be gleaned, as well as the myriad of other rewards, like never wanting for anything, like becoming a god among men. None of it was worth it, though. Not when you were tasked with deciding who would live and who would die, while you carried on living under the burden of all the souls you'd gleaned. I respect you for what you do, Susan began slowly, but I couldn't do it. Take lives for a living? I mean, isn't it suffocating? Scythe Faraday smiled his most brilliant smile yet. He took Susan's hands in his. But don't you understand, Susan? He said. Those who don't want to be Scythe are the only ones who should. 3rd October, 2092. Susan wiped the sweat from her brow as she turned to face Faraday. The sun scorched the lawn and she dipped in and out of the shadow of trees, breathing in the coolness of the shade while keeping her focus on her mentor as he reminded her, yet again, that Bokatar was as much a mental game as it was physical. They circled each other, their arms up, knees bent. Susan inhaled the sharp scent of grass as she moved, waiting him out, hoping he would get impatient and make a sloppy advance. She'd force him into a vulnerable position and then strike. In her six months as Faraday's apprentice, Susan had learned much about the art of killcraft. He had trained her in weaponry, in hand-to-hand combat, and the ethics of gleaning. He had coached her on how to meet her quota and how to navigate the battle between the old order and the new order, two factions within the Scythedom who had opposing views on how to glean. He divulged his theory that gleaning was a way to move society forward by ridding it of wickedness and corruption. Faraday had pushed her to her limits. Just last month, one wrong move with a machete had punctured her jugular and rendered her deadish. They'd postponed her training for a week and a half as she recuperated at a revival center. And all the while, she felt Faraday pulling her in like a magnetic field. She was helpless, like a stuck fly. His ideas changed her, inspired her. He was a visionary. A visionary who always beat her in Bokatar. Just as she expected, Faraday lashed out, swinging his hand at her neck in an attempt to disable her. The move was sloppy, and she easily deflected him by thrusting an arm out. He hit her elbow instead, and she pushed him away, smirking as her adrenaline surged, making her dizzy. Just as she was about to take advantage by swinging a leg out to disrupt his footing, she felt a sturdy kick square to the ribs where she had left herself open after deflecting his blow. Ugh, she wheezed, sinking to her knees and holding her side. Her pain nanites kicked in immediately, working to numb the pain, but they couldn't fix her bruised ego. I could read your mind in your expression, Susan, Faraday said, holding out a hand to help her up, ever the gentleman. You were waiting me out, hoping I'd act rashly. You left yourself open, mentally and physically. It was easy to take advantage. Susan pushed his hand away. But I blocked your advance, she said, standing on her own. That counts for something, doesn't it? In the blink of an eye, Faraday swept her feet out from under her. She landed flat on her back, gasping for air. Quickly kneeling beside her, Faraday pressed the length of his arm against her chest, holding her down. She squirmed and wriggled in vain. No, he said. 
his face's inches from hers. She felt his hot breath on her cheek. Your final test at Conclave will be thorough. You cannot expect to be robed as a scythe should you reveal any weakness to the high blade. Susan nodded, breathless from the fall as well as Faraday's proximity. Faraday stood, extending a hand to help her up. This time, she accepted his help. She brushed the grass from her clothes as he appraised her. His gaze made her shiver despite the burning heat. He nodded once, sternly, and began walking towards the house. We're done for today, he dictated, turning back only once to say, come join me for dinner. 30th of January, 2093. Susan pressed her back against the wall, exhaling deliberately. She stood outside Scythe Faraday's door in the dim evening light, counting her heartbeats, gathering her courage. She had been dreaming of this for weeks now. It had all but consumed her. As they ate breakfast together, discussing the importance of gleaning with compassion, she imagined his lips on hers. As they practiced Bokatar, exchanging blows, she imagined crawling into his bed. She imagined him slipping out of his scythe robes, exposing acres of pearlescent skin and taut muscle. She imagined his hands on her. Would his touch be rough? Tender? Would he lose himself to his carnal desires or paint her with his fingertips like an artist? Susan bit her lip. Six times she had stood outside his room like this, contemplating opening the door and giving herself fully to Honorable Scythe Faraday. He wasn't only her mentor. He was her North Star. He filled her head with wisdom and her heart with dreams. Surely he saw her as more than an apprentice, as his equal, as someone worthy to glean by his side. She knew the commandments forbade fraternizing with a fellow scythe. Not those exact words, and perhaps there was room for interpretation, but the warning remained. Thou shalt kill, she whispered into the dark, reciting the first of ten commandments. She closed her eyes, moving on to the second. Thou shalt kill with no bias, bigotry, or malice of forethought. She continued on, slowly, methodically, until she reached the ninth, where she paused. Thou shalt have neither spouse nor spawn. But why, she had asked, months before, when Faraday first introduced her to the scythe commandments. That seems awfully restrictive. Having a partner, a family, seems like a good idea for size. You know, someone to come home to, to help you shoulder the burden. Faraday shook his head sadly. The life of a scythe is one that can only be understood from inside, he told her. Do yourself a favor, Susan, and cut all ties. She remembered staring at him suspiciously, waiting for the punchline. But Faraday turned away from her, busying himself with cleaning his sword after an afternoon of thrashing at dummies to demonstrate various cleaving blows. He wasn't joking. He rarely did. I can't, she remembered protesting. I'm an only child. I'm all my parents have. Your loved ones expect you to be someone else, he continued without missing a beat. But you have shed that skin. You have been born anew. Susan opened her mouth to retort, but as she watched Faraday's shoulder slump, his posture collapsing, she realized this was not the time to argue. Turn your heart from the living, he finished solemnly. Turn it to the cause. Now, standing outside his bedroom for the sixth time, she had come to understand his mourning. She had watched dozens of men and women in their last moments as she accompanied Scythe Faraday on his gleanings. She had seen some accept their end with grace, while others pleaded to be spared, their eyes wide, frenzied. She had seen daughters and sons weep savagely, had even witnessed an entire family glean because the intended had resisted, as per the commandments. She couldn't imagine returning home and talking to her mother about her gardening, all the while remembering the warm, oozing feeling of someone else's blood running between her fingers. But Faraday understood. He was the most compassionate Scythe she had ever met. Not that she'd made it a habit to introduce herself to many sites. But he understood the weight of this life she was about to lead. And he understood her. Perhaps more so than anyone she'd ever met. In a moment of clarity, she cracked open Faraday's door and slipped inside. She tread lightly, her heart fluttering as she turned to see Faraday sitting up in bed. She treaded lightly, her heart fluttering as she turned to see Faraday sitting up in bed, the lamp on his nightstand glowing amber. He wore a simple white t-shirt and gray boxers. His scythe robes, the only thing she'd ever seen him in, hung on the closet door. He looked up at her, his face opening in surprise and then closing, hardening. The image of herself in his bed, the covers twisting into mountains around them, fizzled out in an instant. 
I, uh, she began, feeling her mistake in every inch of her body as she froze, horrified, in the middle of Scythe Faraday's bedroom. He put down his journal and pen, appraising her. I just came to see if you're done with your tea, she invented, avoiding his eyes. I can bring your mug to the kitchen. Faraday pursed his lips. I am perfectly capable of taking care of my own. Of course you are. Good night, sir. She left his room, closing the door behind her and holding onto her chest as she ran, trying to hold in the sobs of humiliation. 31st January, 2093. I fear I've made a dreadful mistake. An apprentice should never be chosen in haste, but I was foolish. I felt a need to impart all I know, all I've learned. I sought to increase the allies I have in the scythe dump who think as I do. She comes to my door at night. I hear her in the darkness and can only guess her intentions. Only once did I catch her entering my room. Had I actually been asleep, who can say what she might have done? I'm concerned that she may mean to end me. She's shrewd, determined, calculating, and I've taught her the many arts of killing far too well. Let it be known that if death befalls me, it is not the result of self-cleaning. Should my life be brought to an unexpected end, it would be her hand, not mine, that bears the blame. From the Gleaning Journal of H.S. Faraday. 5th February, 2093. They ate breakfast in silence that morning. Faraday asked another scythe, a squirrely woman with a perpetual smirk, to stand in for him during Bokatar practice. Susan read from her training materials as she ate lunch alone. Dinner followed in the same vein. Silence had swallowed their routine. The clanking of silverware grated on Susan's already thin nerves. Though Faraday didn't look up, she could sense him watching her, testing her. The meal felt like a performance, though she had no idea what her part entailed. Finally, when the silence became too much, Susan opened her mouth and felt the confession pouring from her like water from a broken faucet. I shouldn't have come into your bedroom. That was an invasion of privacy, and it won't happen again. But I did it because I... I love you. Faraday coughed brusquely. No, don't say anything. I know you don't feel the same, but you made me feel like you did with all your talk of the future and your closeness and your, your eyes. I thought you wanted me. I thought, God, it doesn't matter what I thought, does it? Because I was wrong. She wasn't sure what she was expecting from Faraday, but it wasn't the pure shock that was now written all over his face. His fork fell from his grasp, clattering against the tile as loudly as if a small explosion had gone off in the kitchen. He reached a hand up and placed it on the back of his neck. His eyes darted around the kitchen like fireflies in a jar. Why was he acting so surprised? He'd seen her in his bedroom, lovesick and desperate. He'd seen straight through her lie, straight through to the infatuation that saturated her stupid teenage heart. Why else would he be acting so cold? Why else would he be making himself sparse? By the time Susan composed her thoughts, Faraday's expression had softened. He was looking at her now with pity in his eyes. It made her want to vomit. I forgive you, Susan, he began. He straightened in his chair, pressed his napkin to his lips. You were wrong, of course. I do not return your feelings, nor would I entertain the thought of a romance between myself and another scythe, as it is strictly forbidden. Susan inhaled at the word scythe, knowing that Faraday wouldn't use the term loosely. He had every confidence she would pass her final test and be robed in two months' time. Her chest burned. Only Faraday would compliment her in the same breath as he chastised her. But I am grateful for your honesty, he continued. It is a quality that you would do well to hold on to. Susan nodded. Now, please study up and join me outside. We need to continue your study of poisons. Faraday stood and slept outside, leaving Susan alone in the kitchen with her thoughts. She was grateful for the time to compose herself, and so she washed and rinsed the dishes by hand, letting her emotions settle with each scurrying of the sponge. When she joined him outside, her jaw was set and her infatuation was pressed down into the farthest reaches of her being. Not gone. Just not here. Not now. 